Welcome to this week's episode of Daily Horror Habit, the podcast for horror obsessives. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you horror movie discussions every Friday for your twisted pleasure. And as always be warned, these discussions may include spoilers. Continuing with the month's theme of It Came From Shudder, in which a guest picks a movie from Shudder's extensive back catalog that's lesser known or perhaps doesn't quite get the love it deserves. And for this week's discussion, my guests and I are diving into Damien LaFleck's 2019 Shudder exclusive, The Cleansing Hour in which a group of exorcism staging live streamers expunge the last of their good karma as their latest exorcism is a legit one, and the duo of Father Matt and his tech guru best friend Drew must decide how far they're willing to go for fame as Drew's fiance's life now hangs in the balance. And joining me to chat Saints, Sinners, and Streamers is returning friend of the show and the host of the Spectre Cinema Club podcast, Devon Taylor. Welcome back to the show, man. Hey, 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 I'm back and I picked something different than body horror this time. I mean, there is still some in here, but uh, uh, but we're going into one of my other favorite subgenres. I love possession movies so much. Yeah, man, I got to say, it's nice to uh, not that I didn't appreciate it, but it's nice to pick your brain a little bit about a genre outside of body horror. Um, and I have to start by giving you a, a congrats on 100 episodes of the podcast and, you know, rebranding to the Thank newly you. minted Spectre Cinema Club, which uh, I was very fortunate to be a guest on that episode. Uh, and to get, you know, to, we talked about it in your episode, but, you know, chatting with somebody as often as uh, you and, you know, getting to pick your brain about movies, I've always enjoyed. And we started podcasting at around the same time. So, uh, yeah, it's great to uh, have you back to chat about uh, The Cleansing Hour. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. And that was such a great conversation. Like, uh, Rianne Mayer was kind of the perfect a 100th episode to get into a hell of a bit of everything that uh, we all love. But yeah, you know, I, I love, um, you know, being able to build a rapport with podcasters that aren't just my co-host. Uh, love you, Garrett. But also it is, uh, I, I really do like uh, getting to uh, have these recurring conversations with you. Yeah, absolutely. And so I guess in diving into our film for today, The Cleansing Hour, uh, what was it about the film that, you know, initially stood out to you from the other offerings on Shudder? Was it a poster, the concept, the talent involved? I mean, it was mainly the concept. Um, you know, I'm a big found footage fan, and this is a a hybrid uh, found footage to a degree with uh, it being a play with the live uh, live streaming. I like uh, the the screen-centric horrors that we've been getting. You know, it's a, the, the next evolution in found footage. So it's like between that and then also being a possession movie, uh, which I love, um, which is, you know, funny because I'm not a religious person. Um, you know, I guess I'm agnostic. Uh, you know, I believe there's stuff out there and there's spirits and stuff, but maybe that's why it doesn't scare me uh, as much as certain people. Like I know, you know, certain people that like uh, they, you know, when you bring up horror movies, they're like I just can't do demons and stuff because like that's mm. too, too real for me. And, and not to say that I don't think it's real, um, but I also, I don't know, have... Um, uh, more, I guess, uh, just confidence in, in my inner power and, um, you know, and the, the parameters on like what it would take to actually become possessed. Um, so, you know, so I, I feel, I guess, a little more safe and, uh, and I, and, and I also, you know, I like the serious ones, but since they don't scare me as much, I tend to like fun, uh, exorcism possession movies. And this is, 
uh, definitely in that uh, in that vein, which is uh, fun to rewatch uh, in in anticipation for a uh, uh, pray for the devil, which looks like a superhero exorcism movie. Yeah. I don't even know. <laughs> That's a great I'm, way to put it. I'm so excited for it. It looks ridiculous. Um, but you know, there's um, in possession movies kind of have a tried and true formula to them. Uh, you know, a, a good person is the one that's going to end up suffering, and then all the people around them are the ones, uh, you know, uh, have to atone for for their sins. And it's fascinating that it's always the innocent people that get punished in these possession movies, which I guess is uh, a big question I've always had around Christianity, as far as uh, you know, ideas of suffering and sinners and things like that. Um, so, so it's always been a fun, um, uh, subgenre to, to explore, um, just to kind of try to make sense of some of my own religious beliefs, but then also, um, it just makes for great horror. Like it, I mean, you know, a good possession, uh, performance by, by somebody is always a fun time, uh, to kind of see the different things they do with it. There is, uh, elements of body horror usually involved, uh, you know, you get these, uh, fun, you know, sometimes like contorting performances out of uh, these possession scenes. And uh, I just, uh, I, I'm here for it. I'm here for the spectacle of a, a good third act, um, you know, possession finale, but except the, that's this movie for most of the runtime. <laughs> yeah, man, this is one movie that I think definitely is a smart blending of not only the kind of tried and true tropes or structure, if you will, of possession, but feels like a modern updating in a way that really makes it a standout. And I totally get what you mean about a lot of possession horror in that, you know, I tend to lean towards seeking out the possession horror films that are kind of like going balls to the walls with it and are not terribly, you know, concerned with being overly serious or anything like that. Um, I think that for me, like a lot of possession horror that tries to play it straight and super serious and really lean into the religion angle. And that's not to say this movie doesn't have that angle. Like, can you really have possession movies without that kind of religious angle to it? But mm -hmm. movies that overly, you know, occupy themselves with, you know, the demonology and talking about, you know, the religious background of these things and the significance of them, I think has kind of made the subgenre feel very approachable, which is probably why we get so many of these really low budget possession films. That's mm -hmm. one of those that I think is definitely oversaturated, not to say so that, uh, many. it's the primary so one, many. but yeah, man, I mean, I don't review movies for websites as much as I used to, but just thinking over the last, I don't know, 10 years, the amount of like low budget possession horror films that have been offered. And it's just like, man, that looks like the last three that I've reviewed. Like, I think I need a break from that. And so to have a film like The Cleansing Hour that is this modern updating that pairs, you know, technology with some of the light religious elements that are in this movie um, was something that I think even I reviewed this one. Yeah, I reviewed this one uh, back when it came out. And I was definitely appreciative of the fact that they took a route that is, you know, I find to be kind of silly, just the overall premise, but it works really, really well at, you know, differentiating itself from a lot of other possession horror films that I've seen. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, the, the ridiculousness of the premise is, you know, them already out the gate, like, you know, like, okay, we're going to poke fun at social media and like, and I, of course always a fan for that and uh, modern, you know, a modern lens and, you know, but I feel like that ties in very well to, uh, you know, the core of what they're going at for this one. Like the, the religious angle is all about the truth. I like how it's kind of simple. 
you know, uh, a lot of other ones go into the complexities of sins and uh, what, you know, if you're a good or bad person. And uh, this one kind of, you know, with its modern take is able to kind of make it a little bit, you know, just like kind of cut straight through and being like, okay, like, like, it's very simple. This guy just needs to tell the truth, but about what, you know, and, and just seeing like how hard it is for him to tell the truth and like the things that uh, he's willing to like, kind of let happen is, uh, you know, is, it, but it's believable in uh, the way that they kind of set up this whole premise. I mean, it, it's just kind of hilarious in general, like uh, who would buy that these exorcisms that he's doing are real to begin with if he's doing it every week at the same time, right. like just that <laughs> angle alone, like how do you all, like how is there people that actually believe it? But uh, the, you know, so the, the film very much is uh, very cheeky about Father Max in that regard. And, uh, but, but I feel like it, but again, it works. And, and like you said, like uh, when, when they get weighed down in their religious messaging and uh, ideas that they're exploring, it can feel like it's uh, pandering in a way, or sometimes possession movies, like the very serious ones uh, become like, uh, like feel like Christian propaganda or Catholic propaganda, you know? Um, so, you know, so yeah, the, the serious ones got stale for me a little fast. Um, I mean, there's still a few that I enjoy, but I've realized, uh, uh, most of the ones that I enjoy are, yeah, like you said, like, uh, taking big swings. Uh, my second option was going to be, uh, um, was going to be anything for Jackson, which is like a reverse exorcism movie, which is a super, uh, fun play on the concept, but this movie's a lot more fun. So that's why I wanted to go. Yeah, man. I think that a lot of the time, especially thinking about some of those uh, lower tier possession films, they end up feeling like a, just a really badly written sermon, which is kind of a reminder for me why I yeah. don't you know, mm-hmm. go to go to church services anymore. Um, it is the type of thing, though, where I'm more appreciative and, you know, it's a personal thing, but more interested in, you know, uh, commentary on like social media or streamer culture. Right. And this movie does a really good job of finding a mix between, you know, exposing the realities of the internet, which is that there's an incredible amount of, you know, hoaxes and all of these things, but also, you know, giving us the vessel of live stream culture sort of narcissism, which is that Father Max character, right? And just the way in which the director is able to take things that anybody that's ever watched the live stream, like I'm not a big Twitch guy or anything like that, but I have watched the live stream before like that. And the fact that this film does such a good job of capturing what I would assume a majority of those types of broadcasts are like, where it's like all of a sudden it's make sure you like and subscribe, make sure you use this hashtag, make sure uh, you buy the merch and whatnot at the exact second it's on screen. Like it does a good job of capturing a lot of the, you know, the let's call them like snake oil performers kind of right that are online and that are trying to mix in their business and presenting it as if it's uh, fact when in fact it is fiction. Yeah. And, and this, you know, and again, the movie is very cheeky about that and, and, and even taps into it in a way that, you know, I like that throughout the film, there's these check-ins with other people watching the live stream in different parts of the world, different areas, different people, you know, different ages. Uh, some of them are like characters we were introduced to like um, the Desiree character from the beginning. And then other ones are like, you know, just like random uh, different people in the countries and then like some of them have tie-ins to the end of the movie which i thought was super fun yeah and and uh so you know it, it taps into this uh, uh thing that like i said like the, the these things are obviously fake but you know in today's culture we 
still yearn to like want to believe you know uh in things and like you know we want to see you know we want to see a video and it's like oh that's sweet and wholesome but then there's a part of your brain that goes oh it was probably staged it was probably this you know but but there's still part of you that wants to believe it so tying that you know the element of belief in social media to religion interesting and again like they're they're doing it but the i love that this movie doesn't you know spend a ton of time on it uh you know they they direct it more towards the characters you know with their religious upbringings um and so it's rather you know them interrogating their religious beliefs rather than uh trying to get the audience to interrogate theirs yeah man i think that that's the best recipe for success with a film like this for somebody again like me that is not necessarily super interested in exploring the darker side of religion or exploring, you know, a lot of kind of regurgitation of sermon and whatnot, because that can become problematic, as you said, um, with overall, like the messaging of the film or something like that. And so to have the characters be at the forefront of our investment, and again, tying the religion to their backstories is really smart, because, you know, if you become invested in them prior to, you know, learning more and more about their backstories and how that's intricately tied to religion. It's the thing where it's like, okay, I'm a little more forgiving or perhaps might not even mind when we dabble in those elements because it's informing me more about this character and perhaps what shaped them. And I don't think that the film spends a great deal of time with, you know, the religious upbringing elements of the character Father Max and of um, uh, Drew, but it is the type of thing that the few moments that are there do really inform more about the reasons why these characters are behaving the way that they are. Um, and, you know, for a little bit of setup, the next person that is supposed to be, you know, their possessed uh, victim, if you will, for the live stream ends up getting, you know, consumed by a demon or something. And so Drew's girlfriend or fiance Lane stands in as she is, you know, an actress and works in the industry. Um, and so she ends up becoming the one that is actually possessed. My and, girl. You know, um, I... Dude, yeah, we have to get into the performances here because mm -hmm. I think that as fun and as silly as this movie is, the performances are of a caliber that, again, I think make this much mm -hmm. more watchable than maybe its uh, its movie poster would uh, indicate you to believe. But who would you like to start with? I guess we should start with Alex, huh? Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, while you're on the subject, I, I got to shout her out and I kind of alluded to it, you know, my in the opening and uh, uh, two years ago when we did our uh, awards and stuff for 2020 on uh, on the podcast, um, I gave her my award for favorite uh, female performance um, because Alex Angelis, which I mean, what a great name to be playing yeah. this role. Right. Love that. Um, you know, gets to do so much, you know, because there, there is, you know, um, in possession movies, there is a, uh, a, a skill to these actors that have to play, you know, a dual role, essentially, you know, they are playing themselves, but then they're also playing this possessed version of them. They are portraying whatever demon is inhabiting them. Or in this case for this film, which I love that, you know, uh, most possession movies, they are just possessed by like a demon, some other demon. Uh, we've gotten away from uh, the devil actually making appearances. And uh, I love that, you know, uh, Alex Angelis gets to play one of my favorite versions of the devil, kind of. Um, you know, she she's uh, goes back and forth between the possessed form and normal form, like within scenes in camera. Fantastic. She's doing most of this performance from a chair. 
like literally 90% of the movie, she is strapped to this chair and is captivating every single time she's speaking. And I like this version of the devil that is, um, you know, uh, is trying to get hip with the times, you know, they're, they're trying to switch things up. They're like, you know, my tactics haven't been working. So like, let me try to play on your guys's field. So just that kind of idea that, you know, that the devil wants this viewership. So that way they can do this mass possession at the end of movie, which again, go big or go home at the end of this movie. And, um, and she gets to just do some really fun stuff, have some really fun, uh, you know, back and forth dialogues with these characters and, uh, and, and the idea of the devil, like using modern day slang, uh, just is very funny to me, but like it, it but it makes sense. Cause I feel like the devil is like, Hey, yeah, I'm, I'm cool guys. Yeah. I'm still cool. Like that's, that's kind of this devil's attitude and, uh, uh, is very fun and just uh, the way that she's uh, kind of playing with uh, the characters in this and uh, just a, a, a killer performance by uh, Angelus here. Yeah, and apparently the devil has a uh, intricate knowledge of how streams and stuff like that works, which I love because it kind of does inform largely, again, coming back to just an updating on the idea that it's like, okay, well, you know, realistically, at least thinking about, you know, culturally in this country, like, religion has probably seen a downward decline, right, in viewership or attendance or whatever. And the idea that, you know, that both sides have to be updating the ways in which they promote or, you know, how they uh, bring more yeah. people into the fold. And so the devil, you know, trying to take this platform, but, you know, picking the one platform that has the religious element to it uh, is, you know, just perfect. And yeah, coming back to Alex, though, I mean, as you said, 90% of the performance is from a chair. And Every time that she is on screen, like you can't take your eyes off her one because she's got that really gross makeup where, you know, periodically over the film, her body is starts to like mm -hmm. become decrepit and whatnot or rot. And yet, you know, she still retains that perfect balance of, you know, being sinister, but uh, sensual as well. Right. It's almost like she's dancing in place in some of those scenes, but she's yeah, bound yeah. to the chair and just the way in which she's so snappy and so kind of just tapping into each of their insecurities in a way that uh, I just love. I mean, she keeps taking shots at them for the fact that like your fans deserve better. Like she knows the exact thing to say to throw one of them off their game uh, while, you know, of course the entire thing's being live streamed. Uh, and I love that aspect of also just like making the fans get involved also, like, again, this intricate knowledge of the devil has apparently of uh, live streaming where it's like, oh, let's get the fans to write in and say what they want me to do next or what Father Max which, should do next, which is just like, it's LOL. genius. It's yeah. amazing. I love it so much. And like uh, the, the interactions with the live stream, you know, makes it feel authentic. And, 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 and but it's just this this devil's whole plan, you know, because like the whole time, like. They're like, oh, you know, cut, uh, if you cut the feet, I'm going to kill her. But then uh, uh, Alex, when she's, you know, or Lane, when she's able to uh, regain is like trying to say like, no, 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 like the, cut the line. Like this is trying to tell him like that the devil has more at play, on, play here because obviously it's the devil. It can do whatever it wants. We see this uh, throughout the scene. But why is it still bound to the chair? Because it wants to be, it's choosing to be for the show for like, because the devil knows how this goes by now. The devil has seen all of these possession uh, movies that have been made and they know the formula right. and they say, all right, well, you know, for the possession, like I got to be strapped down and we got to have this and we got to do it, even though this devil e easily does not need to, you know, so it's like, I just love 
um, how much thought is put behind like the, the devil's uh, the plans here and the way that it's portrayed um, really like the way that, uh, you know, establishes the rules like right at the beginning, you know, like if you come off the set, if you leave the set, like I, I'll kill her. If you cut the line, I'll kill her. Like you got this much time. And I love how the rest of the movie unfolds in real time, uh, which is super fun. And, uh, and yeah, and just, uh, but immediately like, you know, just like establishing their power and stuff like that, uh, that, that whole fire scene of, uh, you know, taking the homies tattoo flame tattoos and like emulating him. And then like the fire extinguishers, like also blasting flames, such a great scene. Yeah, man. I got to say, if we want to get into some of the, uh, devil's powers and the way that he kills people before diving into, uh, the two male leads of the film, I think that this movie is, very surprising in the originality of a lot of the kills or just, you know, the displays of the devil using his powers, right? I think, again, with a lot of demonic possession stuff, it's fairly stock standard, what you get a lot of the time I find. It's like, we're going to make some stuff levitate. I'm going to be in a chair and maybe the chair will levitate or something like that. But with this film, I love how so many of the kills are personalized for individuals. Like you said, with the tattoo, you also have, you know, the one PA that's on set or the sound guy that you know, clearly like he takes pills and he's fucked up at work. And so the devil makes him hallucinate like killer dogs, but it doesn't just stop there. Right. It's that he wants to defend mm-hmm. himself from them, but then he just ends up like slicing himself to death with a razor blade, which I like is fantastic. Cause it takes it a step further from, you know, playing off of a weakness of a character, but at the same time, it's not just, you know, a bunch of CGI dogs that eat him. Like it's quite literally mm-hmm. him basically killing himself. Um, oh or, yeah. Yeah. Even that other PA, that, you know, catches the cross or it's either a cross or I think it's the Virgin Mary statue to like the back of the dome. Yeah, statue, and it gets yeah. brained. Yeah, like just little moments like that. I love. Oh, yeah. I love the I love the variety that we have, you know, um, like you said, like you got one character that's like kind of inflicting on themselves. And then we have uh, set pieces where the, the devil is like manipulating parts of the film uh, set, you know, to, you know, since that's what you know, we're going to use this gimmick up, you know, so we're going to do all the things. So uh, there's like a part where they're torturing father Max with like the lights, turning them on super hot and then like trying and make him step on glass and uh, do, do one of the most uh, dubious hokey pokey. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I have a thing for uh, hokey pokey coming up in horror scenes, uh, this and uh, mom and dad, uh, another great oh, hokey yeah, pokey yeah. scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, I love the variety that the devil is doing to like, kind of just like, uh, just wreak havoc all around, you know, we get Drew tangled up in the, in the, in the wires because he's the producer guy and like, you know, all the, and, and it's like, yeah, it's kind of kitschy, but also it's like, but what else were you going to expect from this movie? You know, um, it, it, you know, so it's like the movie knows when to also have fun. And uh, you see that incorporated in, you know, like you said, um, n- not just the, the traditional levitating and throwing stuff around like uh, this. This devil, is, you know, is, uh, is uh, again, uh, updating its tri- bag of tricks. But even with the hokey pokey aspect, you know, it is a funny scene, even if it is quite brutal. But it's the thing that it ties back into Father Max. Right. And that's really the first, I believe, introduction of what was an abusive and traumatic experience in religious school. Right. Where. This mm-hmm. nun basically he struggles in school. So what does the nun do? She starts by you know wrapping his knuckles with a ruler, and then you know escalates to him having to kneel on upside down bottle caps. Which you know I never went to religious school, but that's the type of thing where it's just like somebody's worst nightmare of 
a religious school type of punishment, probably based on some of the horror stories that are out there. But it is the type of thing I appreciate that, you know, sure, having him do the hokey pokey dance is like funny, comical. It's also gruesome, but it ties into informing an element of that character that I think, you know, I'm not going to say it's an incredibly deep character, but it still makes this character feel as if it is a real person, right? And that's something that, again, you know, when you have so many of these possession horror films, I'm kind of like, okay, I really don't care about any of these people. But in that case, you know, it builds a little bit of sympathy for a character that, and we'll get into it, is, you know, kind of a piece of shit, right? Not kind of, is a piece of shit uh, in certain regards. But one other thing, you know, Alex gets thrown through the ringer herself, right? And I think that it's important that they have the same level of detail in terms of, you know, punishment doled out to the possessed person themselves, not just, you know, fighting for their soul or, you know, regaining their consciousness, but the fact that, you know, at one point, I think she scrapes all of her fingernails to the point they all come off. Mm. And then especially like that scene when she has the uh, prayer cloth embedded in her throat mm-hmm. and she pulls it out and then won't stop vomiting if Max won't stop lying on camera. Like she goes through hell just as much as everybody else. Um, and it, is it's nice to see just the equal creativity kind of dispersed amongst the uh, entire cast. Well, I mean, that's part of it because again, in like in most possession movies, it's always an innocent person that's like going through this. So it's like, um, you know, that's part of like the affectingness of this is just like, oh my gosh, like you just like hate watching this person go through this because like they're the ones of anybody that doesn't deserve it. Like, yeah, she, you know, is revealed to have a secret too along with them, but like, you know, but but between everything else and like what the the priority was of you know exposing Father Max, um, you know she's she's a human being, and also their secret is like totally lame. They hooked up before they were to, right. <laughs> who that, cares? That gave uh, me pause. Who cares? Yeah, I was like, who cares? Um, I mean, like, may, uh, and but but then you know the reveal that Father Max had the video, then I was like, okay, fuck you again, like yeah, yeah total. <laughs> total asshole and but but you know that's uh, yeah like you said that's part of it like you know still seeing the the more innocent person suffer as well is like you know even more effective than when you're seeing it uh seeing it with uh father max or drew i had completely forgotten that element so when i rewatched this the other night i was just like because of course you know they have that moment where drew learns that they hooked up before they were together and he like freaks out about it and i was like all right man maybe like take a minute, catch your breath. This is not a big deal. Like, why are they playing this moment up? And then, you know, you have that chaser of, oh, by the way, there's a sex tape and he decided to save it afterwards, which is what, you know, goes from him being like just a jerk to people and being an opportunist to like, no, this is like the piece of shit that really does kind of, again, inform perhaps uh, somebody that would fall into that sort of like narcissistic rabbit hole right of internet fame and whatnot which you know the film begins and i think he says like oh i've only got fifty thousand followers that won't verify me or something like that and it's just like yeah this is the kind of guy that i could see falling down that uh internet celebrity rabbit hole of just like i'm the best person out there um and i think that ryan guzman does a great job as father max right he is this kind of cartoon rendition of what you would expect somebody to be that was an online grifter that takes on a persona like that But at the same time, I think that the film does a good job of just, you know, interweaving his backstory and maybe that informing while not excusing, you know, why he is this person that he's become. Again, not to say it's Mm -hmm. it's more than maybe surface level, but at the same time, I think that it does a good job at least of informing. And it's not like, yeah, he's just some piece of shit, which, you know, he is a piece of shit, but perhaps there's a reason behind that. 
Yeah, I mean, yes, obviously he like suffered a thing. And then it, it's just weird that like the one thing is like, I don't get why they didn't flip the reveal oh. of, uh, you know, the the pictures and like that stuff. And then, you know, him killing the accidentally killing the teacher. But I guess that makes sense because like to him, that would be the bigger deal, I suppose, is, you know, the, the secrets and like, you know, that he's a creep rather than a murderer, uh, I guess. Uh, that that would track with his character. Um, but yeah, uh, Guzman, uh, you know, has an interesting performance here because but yeah, he he's doing an interesting performance because there's a there's a moment where uh, he's doing a monologue and it's really bad. Um, the, the monologue where he's like, you know, um, has the, the, the noose around his neck and he's like, you know, pleading and you know, because we've had we see other ones, too, that are uh, also very bad. But it's because, like, you know, everything that Father Max does is a performance. And he's also not a very great performer. He's like a a very mediocre performer. It's just like he's a good looking guy and like, you know, has a, is somewhat charming, you know, and like that has, you know, gotten him uh, all this way. Um, but, you know, it, so it makes sense that like even when he's doing this monologue that it's like so not convincing you know, because at first I was like, is he doing a bad performance? But then I was like, well, no, he's technically doing a good performance because Father Max is the bad performer. Right. <laughs> um, so kind, kind of uh, interesting role uh, for, for this actor to play. And uh, and the character, I mean, yeah, Father Max, I mean, at the end of the day, he is just kind of a total uh, douchebag because like, yes, like uh, when you when things happen to you, uh, it's terrible. Uh, you know, it's inexcusable. But that isn't an excuse though for you know because if you are consciously able to use that as an excuse then then you're, you're aware so it's like you you can't you know rationalize doing bad things um you know it's like you if you want to you know get past those kind of things obviously easier said than done and it's a it's a super crazy thing that is kind of underplayed like the the severity of <laughs> accidentally killing a teacher um, it's kind of underplayed a little bit. Like he literally just, just goes, yeah, it haunted me through high school and college. And, and then he just like, kind of goes on and he's like, anyways, and then I went on to become a father, blah, blah, blah. And, um, yeah, so, uh, his, uh, even it just, uh, the, the fact of how shallow he remains, even in just like the most dire circumstances is, uh, is just like very, crazy to watch and then so it's like you also are like you know it's a character you root for that you want him to kind of go through more like yeah he loses a couple fingers and gets his skin burnt a little bit but like at the end of the day did he really go through all that much you know uh I, I, that's kind of one knock i do have on this is i uh wanted him to um kind of get a little more coming to him um but then we kind of do get like a the end it's like um it, he kind of gets a uh, he, he didn't mean to make a deal with the devil, but he kind of inadvertently did because at the end of all this, like, yeah, he's uh, incited riots around the world, but hey, he's got them uh, 5 million followers and verification now. <laughs> In his mind, it might that might have even been worth it for the, uh, <laughs> the fame on the internet. But yeah, man, I think I definitely agree in the sense that that is a character that, you know, if they're going to have the Father Max guy, and I would say he's kind of like, what I would assume like a model on a CW show would look like, right? If they're going to have somebody that looks like that, they need to fuck him up the more you learn about him, right? And they like, not just a couple of digits, like he needs to go through a little bit more. I think even Alex almost went through more than him at a certain point. But 
Yeah, I think that the combining and sort of just exploring of that backstory with the current kind of way that he's been living his life, it was kind of just like a shrug at the end of the day. Because like you said, other than that great moment where, you know, the teacher from the Christian school is basically, you know, punishing Drew. And so he runs over and pushes her and she falls on a pencil and then she flips over for that awesome shot of just having a pencil embedded in her eye and screaming. It's kind of like, I feel like this should have more significance or it should be the type of thing where they really do hammer home the fact that it's like, you know, he didn't actually really change from this. And why is that? As you kind of said, Um, Mm -hmm. I think though, you know, equally Kyle Gallner is Drew does a good job at, you know, you know, he, of course, is no saint himself. Once we learn more of the backstory about why these two are being targeted and that plays into, you know, the devil forcing them to confess, give a confession in front of their uh, audience of, you know, the truth behind the show. I thought that Drew was a good character that, much like Alex herself, at the end of the day, he is largely an innocent person, despite the fact, you know, he's playing the production role in what is happening. But at least in the viewing those two characters, he's the one that seems to be doing less harm or is not completely going down the rabbit hole of being this online internet persona person that, you know, is being an opportunist, is lying to people, is exploiting people's, uh, you know, their gullible nature and whatnot um, in their day-to-day interactions, right? Um, I think also, you know, he's just, he was really a great screamer. I don't know. He's standing on the sidelines for so much and can't run on to help. And I mean, mm -hmm. it's heartbreaking to see him, you know, watch his fiance just go through hell and he can't do anything about it really. Oh yeah. I mean, he's easily the best character of the, of the movie. And I mean, I guess he's arguably the protagonist, Um, you know, even though like, you know, despite, you know, being the uh, father Max being the star of the show, like, but that makes sense within the story. And uh, yeah, like uh, he's very genuine. Kyle Gallner, a uh, you know certified scream king. Now he's been in many a genre films, and uh, and uh, apparently he's got more coming. He uh, so uh, bona fide scream king. Love him. And uh, yeah, he between uh, getting to kind of have a um, you know the the emotional grounding of the film is uh, you know the most empathetic and in wholly you know like not the uh, the uh, worst person either. Like yeah on the spectrum him him and lane are both good people uh that just like you know make you know make mistakes um versus you know there is i think you know a difference between them and father max versus like you know he is so much more aware of the things that he, he he's so aware of the things that he is doing but then also still not aware of the things that he's not doing versus it's like you know at you know drew's turn to confess to something he confesses immediately he doesn't have to sit there and stutter and snivel and cry and like and you know be made to step on glass like he instantly sees the the coin and goes oh uh yeah I'm, i've been taking the money blah blah blah. but hey i deserve it because you suck uh, i do everything <laughs> like you know so it's like uh he's all very justified in all of his things um he gets to do uh, a lot of fun final boy stuff of you know, he's the resourceful one that he's like, you know, like he's got to look up the book and then he's got to do the thing with the convenient tech glasses. And, you know, he's uh, got he's, he's just got plenty of things to do. But you also um, he very much just feels like a very genuine person. You you feel for all the plights that he's going through and just uh, everything that he does, like feels very rational and justified. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm down with you, Drew. Like, I, I feel you. And um you know, and he, he, and he, and again, yeah, like the, the unique task of being on the sideline kind of just like to uh, really kind of drive home the anguish, you know, of like what's going on is, uh, 
is a significant because like he might not be going through any you know physical uh harm as much as everybody else but like you know the the emotional torture because you you can see how much he fucking loves his fiance you know and i i love that um you know i love that you know that doesn't you know uh even the reveal later doesn't like you know complicate their feelings towards each other i love that we you know get a get a nice good strong love between these two yeah and i think also you know his character really does fuel the commentary or you know taking pokes at you know streamer culture or just those things because you know while father max is the star of the show everybody's infatuated with him you know it really is hammered home especially in the second half of the film that there is no show without drew to the degree that you know he's the only one that can be resourceful he's the only one that has any idea how to handle a real life exorcism because you know as we've seen father max is the one that has been you know sleepwalking through this and supposedly has been reaping the rewards but I think also it is interesting to, you know, go back to Father Max for a sec, just the fact that his character, even when he knows the stakes that Lane's life is on the line, even though he sees, you know, especially that one moment where if he doesn't confess, she just is going to continue vomiting up, you know, gallons of blood. He's still torn about whether or not he should confess, right? Him trying to really (laughs) hold on to that last moment or glimmer of fame. And he's like, you know, I mean... Maybe we'll see. Maybe she'll last a few minutes long. Like that whole back and forth kind of thing that he has internally. Just furthermore, it's like, man, I wish I hope Drew gets his hands on him and does something because it's not really best friend behavior. I mean, yeah. And, and and the thing is, it's interesting how much they like kind of cling on to like him not wanting to expose himself of like the authenticity uh, of his of you know, his faith or whatever. Cause it's like, I, I think at the end of the day, like there's no question of his faith. It's just like, he didn't finish the training properly and he doesn't, you know, uh, isn't uh, versed in like, uh, as far as like the knowledge and lore goes, but like, you know, as far as I'm concerned uh, in religion is as long as you believe strong enough and like the, like then like, uh, you know, so it's like, I, I, I don't even see much of a, a moral quandary of them of, you know, like, uh, you know, like, oh, have we been like lying to the people and stuff? And like, you know, like these people are choosing to follow you, you know, in a way. Um, I think it's an interesting like kind of uh, commentary on, you know, the idea of like, you know, like um, self-imposed faith, like because like that was Father Max's thing. He's like, well, I did bad in school and I didn't think so. Uh, I went and went to this like seminary thing and like and self-taught on my own and like you know in a way i'm like doing that as a direct uh aspiring filmmaker like i dropped out of college and i'm uh one of those um self-taught you know in camera stuff so uh yeah i i i feel you in, in that aspect um but um but even but the fact that that's one part that they're not able to like kind of reconcile with is interesting that they are you know because it is all about uh, imagery and like you know he's uh the the verification the validation you know is you know so important when it's like really that's an angle that shouldn't even concern you as much as it does you know in talking about maybe just the fact that you know you're an inspiring filmmaker the idea that you know overall this film the way that it's you know composed as you mentioned in the intro it dances between you know, traditional, but also there's some found footage elements in there, especially in the second half of the film when uh, Kyle kind of goes, or Drew rather, goes mobile when he's got those glasses that are supposed to be like Google smart glasses or something like that. But 
Um, what did you think just overall of, you know, the way that the film was shot? Because um, that was something that I didn't appreciate as much originally that I did on my most recent uh, rewatch. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's like a it's a hybrid screen ish movie. I mean, I, I mean, I guess if it's happening in real time, the footage is being found technically. Um, so, you know, especially yeah, once it kicks in a live stream, but there is, you know, moments in the beginning where it's, you know, filmed like a regular film. And I think that's fine. Uh, I don't, I, you know, I wish there were kind of more, I, I think it's kind of hard to pull off maybe, but at the same time, like, uh, I think it, if, if you're doing that in sake of the found footage, uh, angle working, then that's fine. Then like the whole movie doesn't like if, if 75% of your movie is found footage then I'm like, it's still a found footage movie, even if it does incorporate like, you know, some regular cinematic elements to it. Um, you know, um, behind the mask of Leslie Vernon does that it like shifts. Um, it does it like for a few scenes, like in the first, like two thirds of the movie, but then the last third, it like switches to like fully cinematic again. Uh, from the found footage. So uh, I like the, 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 the mixture of the two. And again, like, you know, uh, taking it further than found footage, having to be, um, you know, recorded on a handheld camera or whatever, like, cause they could have done this, um, this kind of movie, like, I don't know, maybe set in the early two thousands, uh, you know, uh, you know, with like them pulling strings and like kind of doing these things. And then like, you know, distributing the videos. Like, so it's like th this could still work in that way, but I like it being uh, in a current time. And then again, like just feeling like uh, going with live streaming stuff is like the next evolution uh, into uh, as far as like stuff to incorporate, you know, I think this does it very well. And then uh, uh, Spree afterwards would also do it very well. Deadstream recently. So uh, I'm, I'm here for, um, you know, more variations on found footage. Yeah, I thought also just the overall production value as a whole was stronger than I remembered it being. I remember initially maybe finding the film, and I guess also when I reviewed the film, I was looking through it with the lens a little more seriously than I do now, uh, where it's you know a silly fun time, if you will. Um, and I think that the production value, though overall, like this movie looks pretty solid. You know, the, some of the CGI moments maybe or whatever are a little questionable, but at the same time. You know, I thought that this film, you know, from a cinematography standpoint, you know, Jean-Philippe Bernier did a great job at, you know, not only capturing the set, but informing us of the geography of this entire, you know, um, mm -hmm. sound yeah. studio or whatever, whatever you want to call it, right? The stage. I thought that they did a good job of, you know, it's basically single location for, I would say, 85% of the film outside of, you know, the intro and then jumping to some of the people that are around the world tuning in, but overall, you know, it feels like a space that you have a good awareness of, you know, you've got the main stage, you've got the sort of tech corner where, you know, Drew's uh, command center is, you've got that back room, you've got the bathroom and overall, you know, you never really get lost in this sort of area. Um, and I just thought that that made for really clean cut sort of transitions between actions when they happen. Um, and that was the other thing, you know, the action that happens in this movie, it is, I suppose it's not extravagant or it's not a spectacle, but it feels like it was specifically capitalizing on the limited amount of space that it has. And again, coming back to just the creative variety of scares and how personalized they are, they play so well, I think, within that space. And 
you know, even in the ending, when things go from this one little location to globally, which we'll get into, um, I found that the film itself is just so smart with being spatially aware and really maximizing that set um, in the best way possible for, again, the size of the production. I can't imagine it was a terribly expensive movie to make, but I think that it looks far better than uh, than I gave it credit for. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think they were very smart in the places where they put it because like, yeah, there's a, a, a CGI like little chimera monster thing that's like attacking. Like, does it look the best? No, but it's also a hallucination. So it's fine. It, it looks a little funky, whatever. Um, the, the CGI rat off the shelf, that was a little egregious. <laughs> um, but and, but. Um, but they like, you know, spent more money in, you know, when we do get the final reveal of the devil, you know, we get like, you know, practical shots that are all gooey that they like made prosthetics of and stuff. And then, um, and then the CGI on the devil looks pretty good. Uh, the design of it, the horns, uh, the like cracked magma under his skin, like it's a, it's a great look. Uh, and then like, you know, it looks a little hokey whenever he's like looking into the camera on the live stream. Uh, but you know, also it's, uh, you know, it's incom he's incomprehensible, you know, it's whatever. So, um, the, the, uh, money was like strategically put into, like I said, like, you know, the, the set pieces that involve the, the film equipment and the stuff around the location, you know, um, definitely, yeah, felt like it was very like, okay, we know we're going to be working this space. So like, let's kind of write, um, to, you know, what we, what we can do with these parameters and stuff. And, uh, it was very creative. Yeah. And um, yeah, the, the production value looks really good. And that's also uh, one of the better parts about, you know, possession movies too. Probably part of the reason that they're able to be made, you know, so cheaply is because, you know, when you uh, have possession stuff happening, when it's just things flying across the room or, you know, stuff getting knocked over, like, you know, that's all wire work, baby. So it's like, we're still uh, doing uh, some some classic stuff in there as well. Yeah, I think that the CGI doesn't bother me as much as it would on other films, perhaps, because so many low-budget horror films I find that typically go the route of having multiple instances of CGI, they're not always backed up by practical work, which it's not to say there's a great deal of it in this movie, but each instance of it mm -hmm. I found to be, you know, stellar, again, thinking about the scale of this movie, like with the devil chimera dogs that you mentioned, CGI is not the best, but then you're followed up with great practical work when that guy takes that razor blade and is just like slicing himself up yeah. all over, which is fucking grotesque. And it packs as a punch to a moment that if it had been a lesser film, it would have just began with the chimera dogs and ended with them, you know, piling on top of him or something goofy. Whereas with this, it delivers that moment that, you know, all horror fans want. And more specifically to your point about, you know, when the devil finally does show up and I love that moment where, you know, that charred, husk of the PA guy stands up and starts talking to him. Oh, You're like, oh yeah, fuck, yeah. this is the devil. And then of course he is just the shell for the devil to, you know, erupt from him. And you have that fantastic gooey goop moment where his body breaks apart. And basically the devil springs from his uh, cocoon to show us in all his CGI glory. But even in that moment, right, you said when the devil's looking into the camera and it's a little like, okay, yeah, this is not the best CGI I've ever seen. But then we get to the part where there are these riots that happen all over the world where people start committing acts of violence. And you have not only a scene where people in the kitchen are hacking somebody up with their mm -hmm. um, butcher's knives and whatnot, but then you have that scene that looks like it's out in the desert where somebody starts revving a motorbike engine and then puts the guy's face into it and just sprays blood everywhere. Like 
those little moments are always at the tail end of a moment of CGI that kind of gives you a little bit of pause. But having that, you know, chaser to those, I always find to be uh, very rewarding and kind of just lessen the blow, perhaps, of CGI that, you know, it's not stellar, but it's also not the worst I've ever seen. Yeah, you know, you got you got to balance it out, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you know, and uh, and like you said, like at least if you're doing back to back, then you can like kind of uh, you're, you're rewarded afterwards. But even you know, I, I, I like literally those CGI rats were the worst thing. Besides that, like none of the CGI like really bothered me, and like yeah, like that we do get that that montage at the end, and I'm, and again with this ending, I love that they are just like you know, let's just fucking go big, let's go home, like you know, like uh like literally let hell break loose because you know i the movie does such a good job like throughout the film of you know uh of steadily revealing the information for you know more things to kind of hit like okay there's this secret there's this lie and then now there's this you know it does a really good job of like kind of steadily doing that and then you know uh we we get like you know what we think is like the 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 climax but we know it's not the climax because uh, it's it shot the way that Father Max was like describing it at the very beginning. Remember, he was like telling the the guy, he goes, "Hey, I want more, uh, I want more exploding bulbs. I want the showering <laughs> uh, lights like Clint Eastwood style behind me." And that's literally the 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 part where you know he thinks he, they they think they figured out which uh, demon it was. Which that was also a little fun thing. They had to keep coaxing clues out of the devil to try to figure out who it was. Um, even though the devil revealed itself early, it said, uh, it, it said, fuck with the bowl. Eventually you get the horns literally told him. Also a fantastic line delivery from Alex in that moment. I mean, that's one the way it's a line that everybody has heard before, but just the way she delivers it uh-huh. again, it is that sort of like balance between sinister and sensual. She's fucking with them at this point and having fun, not being mm-hmm. afraid to show that I, that's one of my favorite line deliveries she gives. Oh yeah, it is. It is money's. Uh, has a has a lot of really good uh, one line stingers, um, but but again, it's like kind of uh, the scene like or um, that that final like finale scene is like you know g- given uh, you know the viewers what they want. It's uh, what Father Max envisioned it to be, but then it's like eh, no no no. There there again was still like I like how they kept dropping the hint throughout too. Like no no, there's more. Like this isn't that plan. Like cut the feed. Like. And then, you know, it finally clicks that like it needs the viewership and it's like, oh, so like obviously like, you know, needs witnesses and all these things. And then, yeah, like mass possession uh, montage of people. And then we even get like more of it into the credits that like the world is just like going to shit. They literally (laughs) just welcome the apocalypse, you know, for 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 the views, for the (laughs) blue check mark. (laughs) I really do love how restrain the film feels for majority of its runtime and then in the last five minutes it says fuck it we're just we're going to give you the world and set the world on fire uh it does kind of feel like the omen meets the sadness uh in a way that i really really appreciate especially with that end piece where it's like okay it's not only that the devil's going to influence you know everyday joe's people from all over the world but the president's son and it carries out like the most perfect hitman type of mission like i love that because to hold off you know again we i mentioned like the premise itself is kind of silly but the way that the film carries it overall it feels like a good balance so i'm appreciative that the last couple of minutes of the movie just goes full tilt silly because they just you know they're 
going to end the film with that. And it, it feels like the perfect kind of ending and the perfect moment to completely go off the rails. And if you want to lean into being overly silly while still, you know, being kind of bleak and dour ending, uh, that feels like a perfect kind of just marriage of those two uh, in a way that it's like, you know, after you show the devil, how can you one up that? Oh, you have the president's son kill the president and then the world falls into hell. Yeah, I, I love the the reveal of the kid. I remember I, I remember I wasn't even thinking about it the first time I watched this. Like I was like, oh, this poor kid has a rich dad and he's like getting <laughs> raised by his iPad like sad. And then uh, the reveal that uh, he was the, the president's son. I was like, oh, shit. I was like, that's dope. Uh, and, you know, um, and it was like how you said, like the, the movie is, you know, primarily single location and stuff. So everything is uh, so contained and they managed to, you know, have so much mayhem go on in this small little contained area that like whenever you like, you know, have this release at the end and now everything is global is like, uh, you know, it's like just like you, you've been holding on to this balloon for so long and then now and then now you're going to pop it, you know, and then like. Uh, so it, it makes for a fun effect and uh, just a it's a it's a fun experience to watch I, again like you know this movie it, it's silly but it's also a little serious but mainly being uh, you know just uh, here to have a good time and uh, then that, that's the composition movies I like baby. Yeah, man. I think that if I was, and I said at the beginning of the episode, like I'm not huge on possession movies, but I will watch this style of possession movie all day because, you know, as you said, it is this balance of the two of being serious of, of course, not forgetting to be, you know, silly and entertaining or fun and entertaining. And, you know, I'm appreciative of the fact that, you know, it stays true to the roots of a lot of possession horror, having that religious element, but it is overall this modern updating uh, that I really appreciate because, again, like I said, they make a fucking ton of these possession movies. And the fact that, at least as far as I know, this is the first that incorporates, you know, technology in a way that, you know, there's definitely parallels between the way some people consume media online or live stream culture and these things that definitely can parallel religion at times. So the fact that they're using that as the modern sort of uh, text for a possession film, uh, I definitely appreciate it. And it felt like it played into that in a smart way, not only from developing the characters, but also from the scare standpoint, which again, I think uh, it's definitely a film that I appreciate more after rewatching it and getting to think about it for a little bit. Uh, but yeah, man, and wrapping up, were there any other elements of this film that you think make it a standout on Shudder that we didn't cover? Uh, yeah, because I, you know, I, as much as I love Shutter, I feel like a lot of uh, the track record with their exclusives tend to be like, oh, this is a really great idea and a really great premise. And they just and then when you watch it, it's like, ah, it didn't quite live up to like what it could have been like they always, you know, they the uh, most Shutter exclusives live in like a three star territory for me. Um, but for this one to OK, be like, you know, this one has a, a specific premise. Um, that you uh, are tying it in with and it's like okay like um, we can't try to not be cheesy about this because it's gonna be regardless so you know so you lean into it they're you know not bite you know they're biting off like a, a good amount but still not more than they can chew you know and they um, are the movie's just very smart in prioritizing like the things that they want like okay we're gonna have all these different things in here but like okay what which parts are we going to give you more of which parts are we going to give you less of to, you know, make for the better movie. And like, I think they were just very smart in, um, you know, like how we said, like 
not not being as heavy handed and not, you know, like still having serious things that you can uh, take and you can like kind of, you know, think more about if you want to. But like the movie's not taking the time to explore that. It's to give you some of it enough to uh, ground you to these characters that you instantly care about. And, uh, you know, so so the movie just uh, uh, as the kids say, you know, knew the assignment and uh and, and pulled it off you know so i i just appreciate in that aspect and uh doing just a a, a few different things and you know a, again like a a subgenre that has been pretty repetitious i mean really two subgenres you know there's so much found footage and then there's so many possession movies you know like uh, in, in the past 20 years probably the two most like dominant like of like you know just of you know all these different movies coming out so to uh, take a fresh spin on both of those, uh, you know, works out for the better for both of them. And um, I, I just, yeah, I really enjoy this movie. A double, a great double feature with uh, The Last Exorcism uh, uh, from oh, like Good 10 years ago, another uh, found footage exorcism film, uh, one of my faves. So I would say these uh, would make a great double feature. That's a great shout on that double feature. And yeah, man, I totally agree. Like this movie is a great balance, not only of subgenre, but at the end of the day, it does feel distinctly like an outlier from a lot of those, not even just Shudder, but, you know, I think a lot of horror films in general these days that kind of operate within the same realm of this budget where it's like, okay, how many of those do you watch? And then halfway through, it's like, man, they're biting so much more often they can chew or so much more than that budget allows yeah. to the degree that it ends up being a massive detriment. And uh, mm-hmm. I appreciate the opportunity, man, to get to dive back into this one because it's one that I think has primarily gotten buried amongst a lot of the Shutter originals. And I think that it deserves a uh, either a reappraisal or just, you know, people getting uh, familiarized with it because it feels like a distinct standout from, especially, you know, for people like me that are down largely on possession movies, this feels like something that's like, no, no, you can't be downing an entire subgenre because there's still creatives in that space that have interesting takes on that subgenre and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it it just got it got also released at an interesting time because it got released, uh, you know, post pandemic. Uh, so and this was also when just like so many movies were getting put on streaming because, you know, we needed more things to watch because um, I remember that year I watched that, you know, I ended up watching so many movies and um, it, but it still ended up making my my top seven of that year. Um, it was uh, pretty high on the list. It was just yeah, it was just released at a time where there was just so much going on. And then, but crazy that this was, you know, filmed and screened at festivals pre-pandemic, but then it has uh, the devil infecting the world. So kind of, kind of wild. Yeah. You know, I think that uh, it's always important that we get, you know, whenever a film was released or whatnot to have these types of conversations, because it's the type of thing that, you know, especially, you know, no matter how much horror heads like you and I are tuned into what's releasing or, you know, what's on shutter and these things. I wouldn't say that a majority of people even know this movie exists. So it's the type of movie, though, that at the same time, I would show something like this to my buddies that are not the biggest horror fans because of that, you know, fun quality that we mentioned. And describing movies as fun, I find sometimes is it easier sell to my buddies that are like, (laughs) well, it's the type of thing where it's like, we don't really care about horror movies. They're all bad, but this is entertaining at least. And I find more often than not when I describe movies as being fun, such as this, that have the production value to back it up. Not to say I'm the, uh, you know, this person that's rewriting horror for my buddies, but it is the thing where people start to realize maybe that just because a movie is fun 
that there is the production quality behind it that they associate with, you know, maybe bigger films or films of genres that they view with uh, maybe a little more respect than horror. Yeah. And, and especially, like you said, with possession films, because, you know, people automatically just think, oh, man, that's going to be sad and people are going to be getting, you know, tortured and just like uh, it's going to be a mom going through stuff like, oh, I don't want to do this. And that's like, no, 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 this is a fun one. Uh, you so what check this one out so yeah it, it definitely uh, needs to get some more eyes on it for sure and uh with uh you know uh dinner in america uh being a fan favorite um i'm like hey you need more kyle gallner we got more for you he's he's right here he's still he's doing it big we love him yeah man i just saw him in smile not too long ago and i was like man, man i know smile, huh? i know that he should have a bigger <laughs> a bigger presence in this movie or maybe something that is more indicative of his quality as an actor and so dinner in america is next on my list i've been dying to dive into that uh you know as of this it's on hulu so i'm definitely going to dive into that but uh yeah man i always appreciate picking your brain on horror and uh you always bring me a film that whether i've seen it or not you always bring a uh, a lens with which I can view this through in a way that makes me myself reappraise it. Uh, so before I let you go, I'd love for you to plug your podcast, your Twitter, so that people can follow all the wonderful work you make. Thank you, my man. I appreciate it. A good conversation as always. Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore daddy disco, chalking it up about you guessed it, spooky movies. And uh, I'm real stoned. So you'll uh, catch this weird stuff in between as well. Uh, I co-host the Spectre Cinema Club with my buddy Garrett McDowell, uh, where we cover different subgenres every month. Uh, so we are uh, wrapping up the year with cannibal movies through November because, you know, nom, nom, nom. And uh, then we're uh, going through the Disney Channel original uh, movies that were on the spooky side. I close the year on a light note, you know, so uh, come join us over there on Twitter and Instagram at Spectre Cinema. New episodes every Tuesday. I very much look forward to uh, tuning into those episodes. And yeah, everybody should definitely check out uh, Spectre Cinema Club. I've had the privilege of being on several times now. And uh, yeah, thank you again, my friend. This is always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Daily Horror Habit. You can follow the show on Twitter at Daily Horror Pod or give me a follow at NotFunnyJ. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you guys next week.